The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail. I'm Tom. He's Travis. It's Thursday night. Trav, how are you, buddy? I'm um, doing pretty good, my man. I'm uh, over here sort of getting ready to batten down the hatches. It looks like we're getting the white death on Saturday. Supposed to be taking the fam to the Disney on Ice on Saturday night. and I, Will I they seen... relocate to the cul-de-sac <laughs> near your house? <laughs> that is in play, I'm afraid. It's, uh, it's not looking great. I'm a little nervous, but uh, if Mickey Mouse and... Uh, uh the disney princesses go skating down beachwood lane i i won't be entirely shocked it would make things a lot easier for me (laughs) for sure not not a bad drive at that state so you're you're home this week or are you uh, on the road again yeah i'm home this week i'll be uh i'll be on the road again next week for middle of the week but nothing too bad all right well hey it's uh it's taken us 140 episodes but tonight we are finally going to turn to a classic podcasting trope an episode of listener questions we uh we put a call out for questions on facebook and twitter yesterday and you can follow us by the way facebook.com slash the nail podcast and at the nail podcast on twitter got a good response lots of nice topics to cover so uh, what do you say are you ready to dive in here yeah man let's do it all right First question that we got comes from Joe Straley, who asks, if you could have lunch with one retired Browns player and one current Browns player, who are you tabling up with? I'll let you go first. All right. So I'm going to give you two retired, one living and one, unfortunately, no longer with us. Living, I would probably just go with Joe Thomas because honestly, listening to him over the last year or so, he seems like a guy that would be a blast to just pull up a seat with and shoot the shit and he'd have stories for days, right? Um, so I'd absolutely love to talk to him and that's sort of, that might be a little bit of recency bias and there's probably some of those guys back in the, you know, eighties and nineties who some of the older listeners would say, but, um, you know, I was a little young then, so I don't, I don't necessarily have the connection to those guys. That's that some people might have, um, also Lou Groza, um, because strangely I used to work with his, uh, granddaughter actually, um, and actually still talk to her every once in a while. Um, and she has had some crazy stories about him. So he seems like he would be a hell of a guy to sit and talk to as well. Um, sounds- and being able to say, yeah, yeah, yeah I know your granddaughter. That's kind of cool. So it, I'd have some sort of in at that point that, that should, you know, break the awkward ice that we all have when we meet someone who's maybe a little, a little more noteworthy than we are. Uh, I'm intrigued to know the, uh, the Lou Groza stories. Uh, we're going to have to uh, dive into those off fair sometime. That uh, that sounds fun. Do you have a current player you'd want to have lunch with? Honestly, and this is the easiest, most obvious one on here, but probably not for the reason you think. I'm picking Baker, and I'm doing it because I owe him an apology. Um, <laughs> I just have to fast up and say I was wrong about him. Quite frankly, um, it's it, and he does seem like seems like he's you know probably a fun dude. He jokes around a lot. He seems like he has a good time. That's all well and good. I don't really care about that. I just feel like I owe the guy an apology and I would take the opportunity to give it. All right. We're off to a good start here because I like all of your answers and none of them overlap with mine. So uh, I would say for the retired Brown, I would have to go with Doug Deacon. I don't know if you saw over the holidays, Cleveland scene 
I think it was, did a fantastic profile on him. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put a link up to that on our Facebook page after we get done recording. Um, but, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, he went straight from his playing career to being a broadcaster, and he has been the radio color commentator for the Browns since, I think, the late 80s. And so he was here during the last time, you know, the Browns were in the playoffs. He was here for the move. He carried over to the new Browns. And if you read that story and see the, uh, he knows where all of the bodies are buried in Berea uh, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. And he's a fantastic storyteller. I think if you get a couple of pops at him, uh, I I think he would just be a fascinating guy to hang out with. Yeah, Um, that's a good pull. Um, I actually like him every week. Um, he goes, they go on, he goes on Carmen and Lima every week. And it's funny because over the last like two years, he, he clearly has a good rapport with Carmen, but he used to always like kind of slip in like a fat joke every once yes. in a while. Yes. And now he's just completely mailing it in and he just comes out and says, yeah, you're fat. Like he, <laughs> he's, he's, he's gotten, he's gotten rid of all like subtlety and nuance and he just <laughs> throws it out there like every time. Uh, oh my. So yeah, the gloves are off. That's a, that's a good pull. Uh, I like that. He's kind of let the filter go. And you know what? He is a good game analyst as well. I, he really is. I I enjoy listening to him and Jim Donovan. Yeah. And they always like play like his clips of him. You know, they used to do a thing where they make you guess like which game he like gave a, a, an angry, like sigh. (laughs) because <laughs> he would always you know he'd always air his grievance right there on the air so uh but yeah he does do a pretty damn good job i think yeah um i just quickly i will say current brown baker's a great answer i would go with miles garrett just because i would love to hear some of the stories from their 0 16 season last year and what it was like to be part of the turnaround this year and just from watching him on hard knocks seems like he's a really interesting dude off the field and has some really cool interests uh outside of football and just seems like he'd be a really cool hang yeah it's weird because when he was like getting drafted people made like a big deal out of him liking dinosaurs um and i remember thinking at the time like who the fuck doesn't like dinosaurs like this is of all the cool things about him yeah like everybody likes dinosaurs what's what's the big deal here but yeah that's a good poll actually because he does seem like he's a pretty you know well-rounded guy he likes a lot of different things and you you wouldn't be you wouldn't be pigeonholed to just talking football with him yeah all right, you had a uh, a question come in on your Twitter. Uh, yeah, we got one from John Myers on Twitter. Uh, he had a, a two-part question um, about the Browns offseason. The first question was, um, what's the first, you know, what, what biggest needs do you think the Browns need to address in the offseason? Um, my first instinct, um, and if you asked me, I don't know, eight weeks ago, um, I probably would have said offensive line. Um and I don't know that I necessarily still think that. Um, I was pretty impressed by the way the line played late in the season. Now, a lot of that could be the way that they had it game planned, and I don't know if that's necessarily sustainable. But um, I think probably linebacker and D-liner now. I think D-line depth. Obviously, there's solid players on the D-line now, but I think adding some depth would be great. And the linebackers leave a little bit to be desired. Um, I'm not a, I'm not one of those guys who thinks... Um, we need to get um, like a big time number one wide receiver. I actually kind of like the wide receiving core right now. Okay. What do you think for a need there? Uh, I go pass rusher first. I, I feel like that's like starting pitching in baseball. You could never have enough great pass rushers. And the more guys that 
you could stack up up front that can, you know, get to the quarterback without having to rely on uh, blitzing a bunch of guys. That allows you to drop more people into coverage. And uh, it could also take some of the pressure off of Miles Garrett and Ogunjobi and, you know, some of those other guys up front. So that would probably be where I go first. I, I like the idea of linebacker. Um, I felt a lot better about what the Browns were able to do with their offensive line in the second half of the year. I mean, the uh, f- how few times Baker got hit over right. those last eight games versus the, you know, just compared to the rest of the league, it was astonishing. Yeah. Um, so that makes you feel better. I still think that's an area they need to address. I just don't know if that would be my first priority. Yeah. And the, the follow-up question was, um, how much would you be willing to give up for Odell Beckham Jr.? Um, that sort of that sort of plays into my earlier point as I don't know that I think wide receiver is as huge of a deal as many others. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily slam the door, but I'll say I wouldn't give up what it's going to take to get him. And I'll say that this can apply to Antonio Brown, too, because he's clearly on the trade market as well. Um, I don't think there's any chance the Steelers are going to trade him to the Browns. Right. Um, so that's that might just be a non-starter to begin with. But for Odell Beckham, I I just don't I I don't know that I'd give up a ton. He'd be a great player to have and it'd be a lot of fun, but I'm not giving up like what do you think I guess maybe the starting question is what do you think the price is going to be for him? It's going to be a minimum of a first round pick, probably more than I mean almost definitely more than that. Yeah. I don't think I'm giving that up. Yeah, that's What tough. say you? Oh boy. Um I don't know. I I I'm I'm with you and it's going to take multiple picks and at least one first rounder. And I don't feel super great about doing that. Um, but then you look at the wide receiving core they have, and you're like, yeah, it's pretty decent. And you plug Odell Beckham in there, and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'd listen a little bit. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I and to go back to the first part of the question, I, I think I'm a little higher than you on the idea of adding to the receiving core. Um, just, I, I, I think they did well with what they had last year, but it just feels like you're always one injury away from a situation yeah, where that's you're, true. you're, you're pulling some guy in who's having to play a role, you know, punch way above his weight. And I, I you know, I, I like the idea of that home run hitter, the deep threat. Um, so I don't know. I don't really have a good answer on Odell Beckham jr. Although I do agree with you in that. I think there's at least a possibility of that happening. Um, whereas the Antonio Brown thing, I just, for the fact that he plays in Pittsburgh right now, I just, there's no way that they would deal him in the division. Not only Browns. does he look, not only does he play in Pittsburgh now, but the Browns don't look terrible. I think if they knew the Browns were just garbage, like <laughs> they've been in the past, that would be the biggest, if, they, if the Browns weren't like, <laughs> right. If the Browns aren't, weren't like an up and coming team, and somehow the Steelers could fleece them for you know a couple firsts or something, and dump Antonio Brown in a garbage team. Maybe that would be possible, but I think right now with where the Browns are looking like they're you know primed to take take over the top spot in the division, then it's it's pretty much a non-starter. Yeah, that does not help the uh, the chances of any sort of a deal like that happening. Um, all right, uh, next question that came in: Nick Carabine asks, "Why was Seabone the best guest of all time?" Uh, no, Nikki it wasn't was, guest. It was coworker. 
Oh no, he has he has two questions. He asked well, first. He asked the best. Why was he the best guest of all time? And then the best. Oh, co-worker. and then an hour later, he posted. Well, okay, never mind. <laughs> I missed that there was two questions there. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. Nick, he, he, actually, it was a week ago this year. I saw his name pop up in my time hop. Uh, I think it was after the Cavs got pasted by the Warriors either last year or the year before in their MLK Day game. We, uh, we, you know, things were uh, burning at uh, Cleveland Clinic courts and uh, the you know midseason panic was on right before the trade deadline. I think it was one of the times we had him on. And I think the other time we had him on was uh, around the the, uh, the Kyrie trade. So, um, yeah, that sounds about getting, right. If there's turmoil around the Cavs. He's always been a good resource for us and might need to get him back on again in the future. Um, I will say as to why he's my favorite, I have three words, C-Bones, Basement, Beer. It is a great running series on, really uh, on the Twitter, and it's uh, almost it's yeah, it's second only to uh, quotation mark LOL quotation mark. <laughs> that is a Seabone classic. That this does prompt the question for me though: Who is your favorite guest that we have had uh, in the uh, previous 139 episodes that we've done this thing? So we've actually been pretty lucky, and you've pulled quite quite a few good ones. Honestly, um, I think my personal favorite was probably Doug Ferguson um, yes. from the AP, AP golf writer. Um, that was one of the ones and we've had a few that were like this where I was like, you can literally just let that guy go for an hour and I'll just sit there and listen. Um, and it'll be fascinating. And and I love talking to him. I, I don't know that I honestly don't know that I've ever heard him. Like I've read his stuff obviously, but I don't know that I've ever like heard him on a radio or anything like that. Um, hearing him just, rattle off these fa- like great tales over the years um i thought that that one was awesome and shameless plug here for you i thought your dad was a pretty great guest that oh. was in our infancy that was way back in the day but um he had some good sh- good stories to tell as well yeah the uh, the muhammad ali story that uh that was fun um I, that was that, yeah that, that's nice um Good stuff. And actually, to tie that all together, uh, a couple days after we interviewed Doug Ferguson, I took my dad down to Firestone for the tournament, and we saw Doug at the course and actually chatted with him for uh, a good few minutes on, uh, I think it was hole number five, while we were waiting for Tommy Fleetwood to come up and putt. So Nice. Um, nice. There you go. Good man, it all Doug. Comes together. Good yeah. man, Doug. Yeah, and it's a shame that we're not going to have uh, the PGA up here in Northeast Ohio again for the foreseeable right. future. So I was Agreed. really glad we got that one done when we did. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> all right, so this one comes from... Um, no, you need to say who your favorite guest was. It was I'm, Doug I'm Ferguson. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. That, that was going to be my answer. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, though. We actually we had a real nice <laughs> run uh, right along that like late summer, early fall uh, time frame. We did not do that many episodes. I think we actually went almost a full month without doing anything, but everything that we had in that stretch, I felt like was really cool. Um, Scott Sargent came on from waiting for next year. I think that was right around the time that Kevin Love signed his extension. Uh, we had Doug Ferguson on, and then um, Ben Axelrod came on and talked to Ohio State. I really liked that one. And then uh, I talked with uh, Tom Withers a couple weeks after that from the Associated Press and um, he was great too. Another really great storyteller. So um, yeah, I don't know. We uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to, we got our work cut out for us this year. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and you're right. We've had a lot. We've actually been pretty lucky. We've had a lot of guys that are a little more locally based in Cleveland as well who um, 
have jumped on and given some great insight. I think getting with the waiting for next year guys, Craig and Scott, like you mentioned, have both been great too. Yes, 100% agree. Um, all right, next one that uh, came in, um, Rolo Abad asked. This is, uh, Rolo's uh, uh, our buddy, my bar- brother-in-law, actually, and um, I will use this time to mention that uh, he and my sister uh, yesterday um, welcomed a, uh, a new member to the family. Uh, my sister had a, a baby girl, uh, so I have a new niece, uh, Everly uh, Abad. So uh, um, we're all excited about that. But I think given the timing on this question, he might have actually sent this from the hospital waiting for uh, Everly to arrive. Uh, nice. He asked a, a Cavs question out of all the prospects in college basketball, which one would you love to see with the Cavs uh, and why? And then part two, do you guys think LeBron will come back to Cleveland for a farewell tour after his contract is up with the Lakers? So do you have a prospect that you uh, are excited about first? Um, so all the hype is obviously around Zion because um, he's obviously a great player, but he also had, like just insane highlights in high school. So he's been building the hype for quite a while. Um, and he seems to be the, the right now he's probably the odds on favorite to go number one. And I've warmed up to that probably a little more than I was originally. I, I think I probably still prefer RJ Barrett though. Um, I just think he, he's a little more, um, a little more well-rounded of a player. And I don't think that Zion is really what everybody seems to say, which is just a guy who just dunks a lot. Um, I do think he has more to his game than that, but I think RJ Barrett's just a little more, uh, well-rounded player and he'd be a little bit harder to defend and he can do some of those things that I don't know if Zion will really ever be able to do. Um, that being said, I'd take either one of them. Yeah, I will say, I think it was yesterday, Jason Lloyd over at the athletic did a Q and a with readers. And I think he said that from what he's heard right now, Zion, is at the top of the Cavs draft board. So if they would get a number one pick, um, which they are right now well in line for the best odds, although those are uh, not nearly as uh, tilted uh, in the worst record's favor (laughs) as they used to be, right. Um, But if they do get the number one pick, that's probably the direction they would go. Uh, I'm, like you, I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that I feel like what's made him so dominant at the college level is having just an athleticism and, and size and strength advantage um, that, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure that that sort of thing is going, I don't know how that translates to the NBA when he's not going to have as much of an advantage. I, I'm not saying he's Anthony Bennett 2.0, um, but I, I'm at least a little concerned about that. Although the flip side of that, is it was about a month ago I was down at the Cavs game against the Bucks and I watched Giannis hang I think 42 on the Cavs and I'm not sure he needed to make a shot outside of 10 feet the entire night and he had about eight or nine dunks and he just completely overwhelmed everybody on the floor so the problem with that is if Zion is on the Cavs he doesn't get to play against the Cavs <laughs> that's true um I don't know I the, the thing for me I whether it's through the draft or a trade or whatever means necessary, I I need somebody that can shoot the ball. Like right now, if you're looking at the Cavs roster and you're down three with five seconds to go, who are you drawing up a play for? Um, If Kevin Love was healthy, it'd be him. Right. Um, Maybe Rodney Hood, maybe Alec Burks. 
Right. I, I, just, I, I, I tell you who thinks that the play is being drawn up for him is Jordan Clarkson. Jordan and regardless Clarkson of what play is drawn up, if the ball touches Jordan Clarkson's hands, the play was drawn up for Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll be very curious to see who's still on the team. Um, less than a month from now, the I think the trade deadline is about three or three weeks away. So uh, that that could be a very different looking uh, picture by then. Um, all right. So LeBron, does he come back after the Lakers deal? I think it's like, like a, maybe one percent chance. Um, there was a I didn't actually get I didn't read the whole article. I just saw the headline. So apologies if I'm not capturing the spirit of the article. Um, but on the athletic today that basically just said, you know, LeBron really did plan to originally he planned to finish his career in Cleveland, but the relationship with Dan Gilbert was beyond loss. I think they sort of all thought, you know, they, they romanticized a little bit and said, you know, we can make this work. And I think after they won a title and he realized he did what he planned to do, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't reparable. They were, they were sort of beyond the point of no return there. So yeah. barring a change in ownership, I, I don't see it. I could possibly see it if, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know that I, I see Dan Gilbert owning the team much, much longer anyways. So it wouldn't stun me if, if, if there was an ownership change there or, and I've, these conspiracy theories have been floated in the past, but if his return was, conditional on him being able to buy the team when he retires or something mm-hmm. um i that that's that's a bit tinfoil hatty for me but <laughs> um i i think as it stands now that would be a major stretch there would need to be something else in my opinion happen for him to consider that because i don't I, think he wants to line dan gilbert's pockets for one more day i i just get the impression and this is just my observations but it feels like he came back here for you know it, to settle unfinished business, and once he won a title here, it just seemed like the pressure was off, and um, he did what he needed to do and did what he wanted to do. And I feel like, I mean, it was what a, a few weeks ago he did the interview where he, he felt like, you know, what did what did he say? Like after winning that title in 2016, he felt like he became the best player ever or something like that. It was pretty uh, kind of a bold statement. And um, I just feel like he started positioning things where he's done everything he wants to do in basketball. And I mean, obviously he would like to still win more titles, but I don't feel like the move to Los Angeles was entirely best basketball decision uh, related. And he's kind of moved on to another phase of his life and, um yeah i don't know i i i have i like you i have a hard time seeing him come back here even for a victory lap but i mean never say never um all right let's move on to the next one uh our good pal j-dub john warner uh, has a pop culture question for us he said he'd be interested to hear our top five sports movies of all time um i'll let you go first okay um, so <laughs> full disclosure, I realize these aren't necessarily good movies, but they're my personal favorite movies. Um, I'm going to start with a classic starring Shaquille O'Neal and Nick Nolte, uh, blue chips, terrible right. movie, but I will watch that movie anytime, any place. Don't care. 
terrible, but awesome. Um, Little Big League, same thing. I know everybody says Sandlot, and everybody's backup is always uh, Rookie of the Year as far as like baseball movies when we were kids. Little Big League's the best one. Wow. Bar none. Bar none. Um, Caddyshack, unstoppable, right? It's just, I think it's it's just a powerhouse. Uh, Never gets old. White Man Can't Jump is another favorite of mine. And last but not least, uh, as a Clevelander, it would not be a valid list if it didn't have the timeless, everyone's favorite, draft day. <laughs> Clearly that's a joke and it's it's uh, Major League, but I got you with the draft day, didn't I? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I gave you the old okie doke. Oh wow! Um, God damn, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening and you haven't seen Draft Day, don't. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm I'm glad you said that because uh, first of all, um, John's asked me this question previously, and this I'm, is in fairness. This is one of those topics that you can bring up every time, and it right. Will always and, get and I was going to say, everyone, this could be at a minimum it's its own episode if not an entire series and it for us it hasn't been um just because i think for me there are a ton of sports movies that are generally considered to be all-time greats that i will acknowledge i've never seen before so to have me on here talking about best sports movies ever i feel wildly wildly unqualified like what what do you what um i've never seen any I don't even I don't even want to go down this road because it's just gonna like you know it's gonna turn into a discussion I don't want to get into but Fair like enough. I yeah so um I will say uh I'm really glad you mentioned the Sandlot and Rookie of the Year because those were two of my favorite movies growing up and I didn't think of either one of them as I was trying to put my list together um another one that I love is the replacements with uh Keanu Reeves as Shane Falco. And Kathy uh, Ireland kicking. Is that right? Or no, that's no. she's the, she's another one. Who's the right. kicker? Oh, it's the guy that smokes a whole lot. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah that is a good Gene one. Hackman's the coach. Um, also, while we're talking Gene Hackman, uh, Hoosiers, I loved Hoosiers, although I will say the entire uh, romantic subplot with Barbara Hershey was the most extraneous and unnecessary uh, movie plot I, I can ever remember <laughs> and and the scene in the woods where he like forcibly kisses her turns my stomach every single time um uh caddyshack and major league are uh, two more that uh, you know they're right up there for me um happy gilmore i love and getting the, that was almost in there it was right yeah. on the edge but i feel like i can really only justify one golf movie yeah, see, I, I'm I'm going more than five, and and it's fine. Um, I love the original Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds, not yeah. the remake with uh, with Adam Sandler. That was terrible. If there was no original, though, you wouldn't think the Adam Sandler one was that bad. Mm. It'd be a guilty pleasure type movie. You wouldn't think it's good, but there's so few sports movies that are actually legitimately also good movies. That's right? the other thing, though. Like, how do you? I, I don't know how you rank comedies versus dramas. Like the original yeah. Rocky was a, was an Oscar winner, and um, you Raging Bull is right. You know, all time. 
Yeah, but then but, like Caddyshack is wildly successful, but I don't think that was uh, you know, winning uh any sort of major awards. So right. I, I, I don't know. It, it's a it's a great topic and, and one you could probably spend all day on. The other one I was gonna mention that um, you know, when this question got put to, put up for us on Facebook, my mom jumped in on the thread and said a league of their own, and she said, Yeah, one for the ladies. I actually love that movie too. That is a great I'm, movie. Yeah, I'm I don't think that's for the awesome ladies. That's a good that. movie. It's a damn yeah. good movie. Yeah, and uh, John Lovitz and and Gina Davis and and uh, Madonna Thanks was in fantastic. there. Yeah, Thanks is fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely, Madonna's good. Rosie's decent. Yeah, it's that's a good movie. I don't, I don't care what. Yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think only girls enjoy that movie. I think it's just yeah. a great movie. Well, um, I will say here, a couple overrated movies that I always hear about on these lists. One of them you just named, Hoosiers is garbage. I'm sorry. Oh no. I'm sorry. It's it's just not a good movie. Um, it's so corny, beginning to end. Um, it's unrealistic for the record. Um, it's just it's just a bad movie. I I'll leave it at that. I'm not gonna pile on too much. Oh, also man. garbage, Rudy. <laughs> I was in South Bend not too long ago. Um, the romantic the, the romanticizing of Rudy is just gotta stop. Um <laughs> Not only was he offsides, we all know that <laughs> it's over, it's settled. Um, kind of an asshole after the movie came out and people started to know who Rudy is. Um, and third one, and I think Warner mentioned this one Field of Dreams. For one reason, no one has ever said have a catch in their life before that movie. And now anytime the title gets mentioned, everybody feels like, Oh, I need to talk about having a catch. No, it's not a thing. Um, so there, that there you have it. Those are the three that I needed to complain about. All right. Well, just to make your head spin before we move on to the next question, field of dreams is one of the movies I've not seen. Okay. Fair enough. That's uh, it. Sorry. You're not, like I said, you're not missing much. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, this next one I'm excited to talk about, and I th- would not have been 24 hours ago. Justin Waite, uh, who, by the way, shares a birthday with me, so um, worth- worthless information. I'll just nice. throw in there just, just because. Uh, he asked, have you guys watched Slobby's World on Netflix yet? And if so, what's your take on it? I will say that I had never heard of this show before Justin asked us about this, and at least 5% of me was scared to go searching for it based on the title Slobby's World. I didn't really know <laughs> what I was getting into, but uh, I I did um, look this up and I watched a, a couple episodes on Netflix. They've had the, the first season, I think, came out, it uh, looks like last spring, and it, 12 episodes. Um, they're each about 22 minutes long, so they're, they're pretty tight. Um, have Have you heard of this at all? I have heard of it and I watched like I saw it on Netflix. I haven't watched the show, um, but I saw like the little like trailer that they had for it. Yeah. Um, and full disclosure, I have a couple a couple other shows right now that I'm kind of knee deep in and I was going through. So it wasn't really it, it's it's maybe lower on my list and I'll get around to it eventually. But I didn't feel like a sudden urge like, oh, I have to watch that. Okay. Uh, it's uh, so for those who uh, don't know what it is, uh, this guy Slobby Robbie, um, he him and uh, his his business partner own a uh, vintage uh, sports pop culture memorabilia apparel type uh, business out in I think Tucson Arizona, and the episode is them 
uh, interacting with customers, selling stuff, and they put up all these little factoids on the screen about the things that they're selling and, and uh, you know, what they paid for it to bring it in versus what they're selling it for. Um, the, the memorabilia and, and, and a lot of the apparel that and it's it's not just uh, a lot of designer label type stuff as well um 80s 90s vintage and you know stuff from the 90s that's kind of like you know pop culture that's kind of like right in my wheelhouse for like sports uniform design and stuff like that so i um i thought they had some really cool stuff and they also the one episode that i watched if the camera crew followed them to a local swap beat where they went and got a bunch of stuff for their store and some of the bargains that they were uncovering and some of the things that they were able to flip for like 10 times as much money. It was kind of crazy. Um, the memorabilia that they have on there, I think is really cool. It kind of, the one thing that I, I noticed in the very first episode, uh, Slobby Robbie's partner is wearing a Georgetown uh, shooting shirt. That's got the uh, Kenta cloth pattern all over. And I immediately immediately recognized it because I had that exact shooting shirt back in the mid '90s when Georgetown. This was like the days when Georgetown had Allen Iverson, and that team was loaded. And I think they played like Marcus Camby and, and UMass in the uh, NCAA's. That Iverson uh, Georgetown team, I loved them growing up. And the Big East games that they had with like Syracuse. It was probably because you and Iverson had so much in common. Exactly, and. I will be the first to admit, me wearing the Georgetown apparel, I, it was an interesting. It's a fantastic image. I'll admit. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think I'm. I'm pretty sure I still have it, like tucked away in a box somewhere in my basement. And if I find it, I'll I'll put up a picture. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of a cool thing to to see on uh, on the show. And then uh, just all sorts of Jordan gear. The one thing I I will say though. Um, this guy's business practices and just uh, slobby Robbie himself, maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, I, there were some people online that pointed out that he was going into Goodwill stores and like just down the street from his, his shop and buying stuff and then charging 10 times or more uh, as much for it at, at his place. And it felt like he was kind of, I mean, I guess if people are willing to pay something like that, you know, that's on them. But um, at the same time, you know, you think, you know, there's people who have to shop at Goodwill because they're kind of uh, financially stretched and it feels a little bit shaky to be doing things like that. Right. And then, the Goodwill's not meant to be an investment opportunity. Right. Yeah. It feels a little slimy. And then the other thing was, I'm, I'm just a little worried about this guy. He, I don't, I don't want to say anything that's going to get us in trouble, but he just looks a little bit uh, rough. And um, the first episode alone, he was uh, uh, selling somebody a, a designer fanny pack from the mid '90s, and was telling the girl, um, "Yeah, this is where you could store your Molly." And uh, in a swap meet, he was uh, waxing poetic about uh, dropping acid. So, um, Slobby Robbie, take care of yourself, bud. I, I hope we make it to season two. I, I'm a little concerned about your habits and what's going on. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> worth worth watching or not? I, I will say yes. If you like okay. pop culture stuff, I mean, they, they just like looking around their store in the background. I mean, they got video game things. They've got uh, 
80s wrestling action figures. And I'll tell you what, I, the two episodes I watched, it made me really regret not holding on to more things from my childhood because I could probably be making a fortune on eBay with some of the toys I had growing up if I'd have, if I'd have kept them because uh, there were some things that I'm pretty sure I had that he's uh, making a mint on now that I've long since parted ways with. Right. But yeah, I mean, the episodes are, are, they're quick. They move, they move along fast. You can knock out, you know, 20 minutes, you're in and out. So, um, and he's, uh, he's a bit of a character. All right. I will have to, uh, I'll have to put on the list. I'll check it out. Yeah. All right. So next question, Uh, John Hutchison asks us, what would your reaction be if the Indians traded Corey Kluber and or Trevor Bauer? Um, obviously it's a hundred percent dependent on what they get for them. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a fairly hot take out there. Um, now might be the time to trade Corey Kluber. Um, I don't don't know how hot of a take. Yeah. I don't know how long you want to hang on to like 32. He'll be 33 the first week of the season. Um, yeah, he's been, obviously he's been amazing. And a lot of the, their success has been on account of his right arm, but um, I don't know how much more you're going to get out of him. If someone wants to give you a whole bunch for him, I, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing to listen and entertain that idea. As much as as much as it would suck to lose him, that his bell curve's got to start going down pretty soon. So you're you're saying sell high? Yeah, exactly. I don't know that you're ever going. I don't know that his value is ever going to get greater than it is right now. Um, now I, again, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not great at evaluating how much guys are worth in baseball. So I don't know how much he's actually worth now to begin with, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that mad if they traded Bauer um, or traded Kluber Bauer. I don't know that I'd be that, that mad either, but for totally different reasons, he just seems like kind of an asshole and he's hard to root for. So I'm kind of <laughs> from that, from that perspective, I don't know that I'd miss him a whole lot. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I understand the baseball case for Kluber, and it's just for the exact reasons that you laid out. Um, but with Trevor Bauer and just some of the stuff that we've seen this offseason, I mean, he had that stretch of, what, like two or three days where he continually harassed some fan on Twitter. That was just a bad look. And I think that finally he had to come out and apologize for it. And then – he tore into one of the local reporters for doing a story about him without talking to him. And then I think it was two or three days later, he had media availability in Cleveland and it was right before tribe fest. And somebody asked him a question he didn't particularly like. And I think it was related to the social media thing. And rather than like, okay, here's your chance to finally say something about it. You want, you want us to ask you about it. Here you go. He shut down the interview after like 35 seconds and walked off. So it's like, don't complain about people not talking to you before writing. And then when you get the opportunity to talk, shut them down. It's just that uh, he's a child. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. Because he's, he's good. I mean, he, he's very good between the, between the lines on the field. He's, he's extremely valuable, but the stuff off the field just drives me nuts. Right. Bigger yep. picture though, with regardless of all of this, I, I have questions, you know, I felt like when the season ended, we started. they started laying the groundwork on the idea that one of those guys could get traded pretty early on. I mean, we started hearing those whispers, I felt like, almost immediately after the season ended. And the idea was 
that uh, you have what we feel like is a surplus of starting pitching and a dearth of quality outfielders. So you trade from the one pile to, you know, improve your, uh, your standing in the other pile. And then within the last month or so, after some of these other deals have been made and they've shed salary, and I don't feel like the outfield is considerably better. I think they still need to address some things out there. And maybe they will. We're not done through with the offseason yet. But at this point, we're now being told, well, they might not have to trade those guys after all because they've been able to shed payroll. And it's like, when did that change? That wasn't the reason you were telling us that you're, or the reason it was being floated out there that those guys were going to get put on the block to begin with. And, you know, the other thing that we've heard, there are these whispers that their minority investor that came on just two years ago, I mean, it was August of 2016, um, he already is like scaled back his investment, which to me is kind of a red flag. I don't know about you, but and I don't know how these things typically work with minority investors on sports teams. But if you're already pulling back after you have barely been in the game for two years, I kind of wonder like what's going on and, and why you got into it in the first place. Am I off base there? No, I think that's fair. I'm with you. I think you're right. Yeah. It's just the financial constraints seem like it's, it's kind of set this up for a very um, uh, disappointing and frustrating off season. And I just feel like the messaging that's come out of the Indians and, I'm sure as we get closer to the the season starting, we'll talk more about this, but I feel like the messaging has been uh, more around extending their window. And it feels like, you know, why have a payroll of 130 million and bounced out in the first round when you could have a payroll of 90 million for an extra couple of years and, take your chances and hope you catch lightning in a bottle with uh you know with, with a run in right. october at some point right. in the next year it just it feels like they're rather than trying to like put their chips all in on on one year and going for broke now while they got this window open it's more about just trying to stay um you know above 500 and, and just good enough to stay in control of the division and and just hope you you know the, the playoffs are a crapshoot which I don't know. After the last couple of years, I'm not entirely convinced that that is the case as much as I believed it to be uh, before that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's, I just, I'm not sure. I, I, I think extending the window, like you say, I don't know that that's really an option for them. Cause I don't think, um, I, I think the window's a couple of years. I just don't, there's certain guys, Lindor specifically, there's certain guys that just, I don't think they will make them part of, you know, part of their long term plans. Now they'll, they'll ride Lindor out as long as they can have him. Um, but I don't see, he's going to get a huge contract in a few years and I don't think it's going to be from the Indians. I'll tell you this. I, I, I think it's more possible now than I would have believed six months ago. And, and it's for no other reason than just kind of paying attention to what's happening with the other top of the market free agents that are available right now, you look at Manny Machado and you look at Bryce Harper and the, you know, the fact that they have not signed and you, I don't know, there's always, you know, the question of how accurate the reports are, but some of these 
numbers that are being floated around are not nearly what I think was originally envisioned for those guys. And the more those numbers come down, and if those guys sign at something less, that's going to do nothing but help the Indians, um, you know, bring Lindor back in, in into their ballpark. Now, whether they're willing to, you know, actually uh, splurge on 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 him, and you know how far that number needs to come down for them to really, you know, go through with a long term commitment to him past you know his deal now. Uh, that remains to be seen, but I feel like every bit that it comes down makes it more of a possibility. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And, um, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, though. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair too. But I'll tell you, man, it, there's a lot of uh, angst in I think the the Major League Baseball free agent market right now, and and um, I think there is a a growing uh, discontent from players versus. Uh, uh, ownership in terms of the contracts that have come out in free agency the last couple of years. And I think baseball better be careful or you could be heading towards a work stoppage sooner than later. If, if things keep trending in the direction they are not saying it's definite, but um, I, I think that's something to keep an eye on because it's, it's, it's not going in a good direction as far as uh, the players are concerned. And, and it, I wonder how far it has to go before, uh, the dam breaks on it. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even really considered that, but that, that's always sort of out there, I think, with most sports. Um, yeah. I mean, we've seen it with with other, with other baseball in the past, and never seems to last that long because guys always spend their money and they need to get back to work. It's funny because the millionaires can afford to... Uh, the millionaires can't afford to wait as long as the billionaires can. And that's always sort of the way that it goes. Right, yeah. Um, all right. So next question, Jason Lee asks, knowing what we know now about CTE, what sport do you feel the guiltiest for still loving? Um, honestly, the only sport that I really enjoy that where it's, it's prevalent is football. Right. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't watch UFC like at all. Um, I don't know if we'll count, um, professional wrestling, maybe that one a little bit. Um, it's been a factor there for sure. Um, I, I hesitate to call that a sport, but we'll throw it in for the sake Sports of this argument. Yeah, we'll throw it in for the sake of this argument. Um, I probably still, I, I mean, I still say football. It's the easy answer. Um, and it's, it's not very prevalent in baseball or basketball, obviously. So, so that's my answer. I don't know that there's, there's much more, um, I don't know if there's really anywhere else that it's that it's that much of a factor to begin with. Yeah, I would agree. Football was the obvious one that came to my mind. And I, I know there are people who will grumble and say, why don't you just put flags on them? And, you know, it's you know, like a lot of other aspects of their life. They want to see things go back to how they were back in the day. Interpret that however you will. Um, science is science. And, you know, what we're learning about CTE isn't making me feel better <laughs> about what happens on a football field. And I'll be honest, like what happened with Denzel Ward this year kind of made me uncomfortable. I mean, I agree. I th- three, three concussions, I think this season, two within the span of a month it, like uh, that, yeah. that ended his season. Um, and that to me is a real concern about, uh, you know, his long-term health and, you know, the, the viability of his career moving forward. Um, he is one though. It seems like, it seems like he's somewhat 
I don't want to say to blame, but he's somewhat reckless in the way that he plays. Um, it doesn't seem like they're just flukes. Um, the way that he tackles, I think fundamentally he doesn't he doesn't do things the, the safe way or the smart way. So, and that's I'm not blaming him. Obviously, it is what it is. That's no, you know, that's no excuse for it. But I think we're seeing a pretty significant turn in it already, um, both in the equipment that they use. Um, the way the game is called, obviously, has been a huge factor. Um, and hopefully, I don't know that it's trickled down as much as it probably should have by now, but the way the guys are coached to tackle and hit and things, I don't think is as far along as, as the other two areas are. Um, I do think the one area that I think they've maybe gone a little too far, and in fairness, going too far is much better than not going far enough in this discussion um, is with the targeting rule in college. um, I don't think it's applied evenly um, at all across the board. I think it's wildly inconsistent the way that they, uh, that the way that they call it and the way that they enforce it. And I don't know that the punishment is necessarily um, is necessarily helping. I don't know that kicking guys out of games, especially in, in a lot of cases where, in actuality, it's a clean hit. They just think a guy got hit hard. Um, and and they use, you know, we hear them analyze the hit every time a guy gets thrown out for targeting. They have the rules guy come on and say, oh, well, it's this, and it's got this thing to it. And it's, and it's so subjective that even if they didn't actually commit targeting in the spirit of the rule, they just look at the guy like, oh, that guy got hit real hard, so we should probably just throw this other guy out so it doesn't look bad. Um I think that's probably my biggest complaint with it is that they're just wildly inconsistent about it. I don't know that the uh, that the punishment is is doing any any good at at curbing it because we see it all the time still. There's just no perfect solution for this, just by the the very nature of football itself. And I think if you're interested in the long term health of the game and, and football continuing on for beyond another generation, you know, I, I think it's going to be really imperative that. And any sort of lessons on player safety uh, start getting implemented, you know, as much as they can at the earliest levels of football. Um, so it's just kind of, you know, drilled into players' heads <laughs> rather than uh, shoulder pads. Um, concepts on on proper tackling and and you know techniques that can you know mitigate uh, those types of things and, and minimize uh, risk as much as you possibly can. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, equipment, uh, they can come up with some other breakthroughs on that front. But And they've, yeah, gotten, I mean, they've gotten a lot better, actually, at it already. Yeah, and you know, they need to because this is not going to go away. We're not going to suddenly learn, you know, I mean, as much as we want to believe that, you know, <laughs> the head trauma and, and um, you know, concussions and things along those lines are uh, not a problem. I mean, they are. We're not learning anything to make us feel like they're less of an issue. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's not something that can be ignored. All right. Uh, so I'll throw, I'll throw sort of a, a follow-up question here. All that being said, now this is sort of a hypothetical that neither of us can really answer at the moment because you only have a girl and I have zero children. Um, what we know, would you let your kids play football? I would not. Okay. I, I don't know that I agree. I don't know that I disagree or agree, honestly. Um, I have zero kids and I've thought about it frequently and I definitely have my concerns. Um, but 
I don't know. It, it, it'd be a very difficult decision for me if the kid was in love with the game and he wanted to play for me to just say, no, you can never play this game yeah, no, because something say, might happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get that. And it's, it's a tough call. Um, I will say like my daughter's five and I think this spring we're going to try starting her off in soccer. And, you know, there, there are head injuries in that game as well. And not to the degree of football, but I mean, it's a, it, that's a real thing. So, you know, it is something that I got to at least keep in mind. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're at here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough decision and I don't blame, honestly, I don't blame any parent that just says I'll never let my kid play football. Yeah. I don't know if that would be the position I would take, but I can't, I can't really say that it's a bad idea either. Yeah. I did one year of tackle football. I played in seventh grade. Oh, same. Was- Roadrunners. Yeah, that's right. The Auburn Roadrunners. We went seven and zero that year. Thank you, Brandon Towns, wherever you are. Um, I think we went. I think we went seven zero and one, maybe. Ah, I feel like Auburn was a bit of a bit of a bit of a powerhouse back then. Dynasty. Yeah, it was funny because you mentioned Brandon Towns. I think he had he set the rushing record at Auburn. Yeah. Uh, the following year, I believe Chris Chavez broke his record. And wow. then my class played, and Mike Seacrest was a running back on our team, and I believe he broke the record. And I think it broke like five years in a row. Uh, I was a wide receiver, which meant uh, I didn't touch the ball all season. Um, I think we maybe threw five passes the entire year. Um, well, did you guys it was, have, it was uh, interesting. Did you have Humes and Palo coaching your yeah. team in seventh grade? Yep. See, they coached us as well. Humes did the offense, and Palo ran the defense. And yep. Um, what was funny with our team was we actually threw the ball a little bit, but one of our wide receivers, I think finished the year with more passing yards than our quarterback did because <laughs> our signature play was a double pass where we, th- our quarterback threw a lateral out to our wide receiver. And then the wide receiver threw a bomb down the field to uh, another guy because no team at the seventh grade level is looking for a double pass. And it, it worked pretty much every single time we ran it. So, um, yeah, when we weren't having Brandon Towns just run roughshod over everybody, it was the, the double pass from uh, Doug Massey to Mike Ross to, I can't remember, uh, maybe Brent Rudd. But uh, I'm just name-dropping left and right here. Yeah, look at that. Concord's finest. That's right. That's right. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I was the uh, the – backup linebacker and the backup quarterback and I was running I think the scout team offense and uh, uh, Dan West who was probably about 80 pounds heavier than me was playing defensive line and blindsided me in practice and uh, sent me to the hospital with a neck sprain so that was pretty much the end of me in in tackle football and yeah uh, I think I was uh <laughs> if you if you know if you know me you know I was clearly undersized on the field we'll call it that yeah um i was kind of lucky because honestly like i played wide receiver and cornerback and we didn't pass the ball and the teams we played against never passed the ball so i was i was kind of just out there um for whatever reason on your cardio pretty right right exactly but i was i'll be honest i was kind of lucky because i could have gotten my ass kicked like every day in practice and the guys who were larger took it fairly easy on me. They're like, all right, I'm not going to waste my time on this guy. They'll just bump me a little bit instead of like shoving me into the ground. That's nice. That's yeah, nice. they were nice guys. I wish my I wish my teammate was uh, looking out for my well well being, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they didn't they didn't pay him to think. I guess um, not so much. All right, 
last question. I think you got it on Twitter from uh, our buddy Mark Podolsky. Do you want to share what that question was? This question, uh, it's not necessarily in the uh, interrogative form, uh, but it is Mean Gene. All right. That's it. Just Mean Gene. Well, um, um, Mean Gene yeah, Okulin. Go for beloved, it. You go first. Yeah, the, the beloved uh, pro wrestling announcer. His career spanned uh, from the AWA to the WWF to uh, WCW and then back to WWE afterwards. Um he died on uh, January 2nd, and uh, I, I, I mean, Mean Gene was a big part of my childhood. I love Mean Gene, the quintessential uh, wrestling interviewer, um, the, the perfect straight man uh, for all the over-the-top uh, uh, late 80s and early 90s uh, cartoonish wrestling characters of the, the WWF, and then uh, also the perfect straight man for uh, Ric Flair and WCW. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was kind of a bummer to lose him. Good yeah, one. I mean he um he was yeah there's it, it, there's a good chance if there's if there's a promo that you loved in the 90s um even early 2000s uh that Mean Gene Oakland is there hand, holding the mic for it um I went back there's 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 one clip I always watch online of uh Macho Man doing the whole cream of the crop thing yes um which everybody's seen it and it's fantastic every time um it is astonishing that he never like broke in those moments he never laughed like i'm sitting there rolling like rolling on the floor laughing at this and he's just sitting there stone-faced letting him go um consummate pro like they picked the perfect guy for that job obviously well yeah to to your point on that there's the famous clip of the outtake that accidentally made it to air during SummerSlam when uh he was supposed to be interviewing ravishing rick rude and the sign on the backdrop fell and it startled him because he didn't see it fall off the wall. So when it slammed on the floor, he just screams out in the, right in the middle of his sentence. He's like, gentlemen, as you know, thing falls, fuck it. And, and then <laughs> he turns around to like, see what happens. But to like, after that, he picked up right where he left off in the middle of the sentence and tried to continue on with the interview for another three or four seconds before it was like, all right, yeah, we got to stop this. And, and, but it was like, even with that happening, he was still like right there and right back in form after, you know, to, to like pick up right on, on the line and on his cue. And it was unbelievable. But um, I, I have to say, I was astonished by the outpouring of uh, tributes and the level of coverage that his passing got. Like, I'm a wrestling fan of 30 plus years. I grew up with Mean Gene, but, you know, he was the guy standing next to Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. He wasn't Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. And right. that, like, I, I was, it was kind of like, wow, uh, that kind of crazy. Yeah, I agree. It was obviously he was a guy that's tied to a lot of like the, 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 our favorite moments in wrestling, obviously, but you never really think of him as being, you know, that beloved as good as he was, you knew he was really good, obviously, but, um, yeah, you're you're right on. Everybody just seemed outpouring of adoration for him a little more than I probably expected, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't deserved. Just I agree with you. It was it was it was a little more than I thought it was going to be. Well, in Gene's words, he was our 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 dear close personal friend. So uh, hats off to Mean Gene. We will we will miss Mean Gene. But uh, all right, good good place to stop. Uh, I like this. This was fun. We got a, I felt like we got a lot of good questions and. Uh, 
forced us to talk about some stuff that uh, we don't normally cover otherwise. Yeah, for sure. We'll uh, we'll definitely bring this one back down the road. Absolutely. All right. So in the meantime, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Stitcher and the TuneIn app. You can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Uh, go like our Facebook page. I'll uh, put up the uh, Cleveland scene story on Doug Deacon. And, uh, you know, it'll be a good place to uh, keep an eye out for the next time we do one of these uh, Q&A formats. Uh, that's facebook.com slash the nail podcast. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at the nail podcast. So I think that is going to do it for us for this week. For Travis Shuley, I am Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin and we'll talk to you soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!